I'll have the opportunity to, uh, to introduce our guest speaker, who is not a guest to me. He might be to some of you. We've been uh, longtime friends. We, I got to meet him first in grade 12. That was last year. And it's, uh, it's amazing how much it's grown in such a short amount of time. No, it's, uh, we've known each other for a very long time. He is the director of Every Nation Canada. And uh, we have been friends and been in ministry for many, many decades now. And what that really does is speak to his character, that he's a man of perseverance. He's a good friend. He knows how to walk along and, and persevere in relationship. And he's always been somebody who's churned my heart towards Jesus, towards kingdom priorities. And he's a huge blessing to this nation as well as to our local church community. So could we please welcome Pastor Bert and Sheila? Come on up. Sheila, Sheila you got to at least be able to say hi. It's nice to see you too. I usually have something to say, but I just feel like we've been here like five days and I feel like the jet lag is hitting me right this minute. But um, we're really glad to be here always. Glad to see what God's done here in almost 23 years since Greg and Debbie were in our home in Nashville and we were talking about what every nation Vancouver might look like. So um, always good to be here and to meet new faces, meet new people, see old faces. So that's it for me today. All right. Thanks, hon. Sheila was uh, involved in campus ministry. Uh, she moved out from Ontario uh, to UBC and uh, was on a church planting team. And uh, I was one of the people who was really impacted and reached. And so for all the single young ladies out there, I just encourage you to get out on campus. And uh, <laughs> we never, you never know how, how it's going to turn out. Um, that's a joke. So, um, I feel like a lot of people uh, are feeling a lot of stress and anxiety over finances and money these days. Uh, you know, inflation, we had to renew our mortgage, and that was not a happy thing. Uh, and I was coming into the end of last year, and the Lord was really putting on my heart to teach on biblical finances. Uh, and so I, I, it's always been a passion of mine, really part of my life message, I believe. Back in Nashville for the years we were with our Every Nation Church there, uh, they kind of gave me the job virtually every week, three services on Sundays and sometimes more to take up the offering. I mean, I was in Costco and they go, that's, you're the, the, pass, um, the offering guy. Yeah, <laughs> the offering guy, sort of like the cable guy. So, but, so, but even though it was a little task I was given, just studying the scripture over and over on this subject, something got into me. And there was really something where God gripped my heart on this, this subject. And I saw that it wasn't just a side thing, but it was really central uh, to God's word in many ways. Uh, I grew up in a uh, uh, Port Alberni, uh, where all great, many great leaders hail from. <laughs> and uh, from a very you know, middle class, lower middle class maybe. My dad, you know, was a mill worker at the uh, pulp and paper mill there his whole career. My parents have basically high school education. And um, my mom's family is Métis. I'm one of the indigenous um, 
peoples of Canada, the early French settlers uh, married First Nations wives and had the mixed race, and that's what Métis means in French, is mix. And my mom's family, nine kids, they grew, grew up very poor and uh, had, you know, went to bed hungry many times. They had kind of a little log-type house, and it wasn't very nice. My grandfather, uh, my French Métis grandfather was very irresponsible and would leave the family for months at a time and not provide for them. And so I grew up, you know, under a sense where just a generation ago, you know, there was a lot of poverty. And so I was, you know, just connected to that. And my mom, like from the I mean, she's 96, still living in the family home in Port Alberni, and is, if you walk in the door, she just starts feeding you. I'm like, Mom, the Great Depression is now over. Uh, it's, but it's just something that's there. So I was always kind of just a step away from that. My dad, uh, you know, came from a farm uh, in Manitoba, a homestead that was, you know, passed down generation to generation. They didn't have a lot, but they always had food, which is great. But coming into this year, I really felt like I should try to get to as many Every Nation churches as possible and just share words, something like I'm going to share with you now, I change it up a little bit from, uh, from church to church. But I feel like God has a word for us and has a message of hope, a message of a comfort. It's also going to have a little bit of challenge in it too, as we learn how to trust him uh, even more. So the title of uh, this message is The Blessing of Giving. And I'm going to talk about three things, the foundation for giving, levels of giving, and the results from giving. First of all, foundation for giving. Well, the Bible is the foundation. It's saturated with verses on giving and possessions. In fact, 17 of Christ's 38 parables are on money and possessions. The topic is mentioned in Scripture more than any other, three times more than love, seven times more than prayer, and eight times more than belief. In fact, if you were to, and I didn't do this, but someone did, actually track every verse in the Bible on money and possessions, and believe it or not, there's 2,172 uh, in Scripture. So it'd take you 36 hours and 12 minutes to read them all at one minute a verse. So let's get on the first verse. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but why, why, you know, why is this emphasis? I think because our physical existence, if you've ever come or close to poverty, you understand that your physical existence, how important it is. Just your physical existence. And so there's, you know, when you're in a first world nation and you've always had a roof over your head and never missed a meal, uh, that's not something that's close and dear to your heart. But most of the world isn't like that. Most of the world... Uh, understands that just physical existence is, is not guaranteed. And there is a deep need for us to understand it and to be able to trust God. From the very beginning in Adam and Eve, it was really, they weren't able to trust God with even just their physical existence, just their, their state, you know, in the, in the garden itself. And I believe that God put an em emphasis on this to remind us of something, and that is he's the provider, and that he is the owner, and that everything we have comes from him. And we actually are the managers of what he has given us. I heard, I, didn't, I haven't done this myself, but I heard of a guy to remind himself, he takes his uh, Visa and debit card, and he put his name above his name where it's embossed here, Albert J. Thompson, Albert's my legal name. 
But he just put above it, God's managed by. And then underneath it is his name. Just to help him remind, it's also a point of maybe evangelism when the clerks see this, God's? You know, managed by, but he's able to share why he put that, uh, why he put that there. Here's just a couple of verses just on the declaration of God's, um, uh, that he really is the owner. He is the creator. Uh, Psalm 50, 10 and 11 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. Here's another. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Another, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. And one more, uh, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. I have a summary statement then when we talk about the foundation for giving. If we believe the word of God, that everything we have belongs to the Lord, and if we believe that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, then we will acknowledge that God is the owner and we are the managers of the possessions that he has entrusted to us. I'm so thankful that uh, our sin, past, present, and future has been dealt with the Lord. And if you forget to confess a, you know, a sin 10 seconds before you die, it's like you're going to be okay, okay? Um, but there is going to be a question, and we see this, and it's not a question of salvation, but it is a question of stewardship. Traditionally, sanctification and stewardship have been the marks of Christian maturity. It's have we been good stewards, good managers of all that God has given. And at the last day, I believe that Jesus is going to look at us. He's going to love us and welcome us into the kingdom. But I do believe scripturally we will hear something like this. What did you do with what I placed in your hands? What did you do? The, the, the question of stewardship. What did you do with the gifts that you've been given? What did you give? With the, what have you done with the relationships I've given you? What have you done with the possessions and the opportunities? And a lot of people have this idea, well, I studied hard. I did this. I made it. But who gave you the opportunity to study? Who gave you the opportunity to live in the place where you live so that you can actually work hard and get somewhere in life? Ultimately, it all comes back to the grace of God. Um, so... What will you do with what's placed in your hands? Let me talk a little bit uh, beyond the foundation of giving. So I just want to say the foundation is just an acknowledgement of God as creator and owner of all things. And what we have is because of him. And we are the stewards of that. So let's talk about levels of giving. The first level is simply the tithe. Um, Tithe in the Bible means a tenth or 10%. In modern Christianity, oftentimes you'll hear tithing as just means you're giving to the Lord. But it actually, scripturally, doesn't mean that. It actually always means one-tenth or 10%. So even people who aren't great at math, for me, like you can move the decimal place over and still see what 10% is. So it's really great. Um, the very first tithe actually came before the Mosaic Law. It was a time when God was um, appearing in an Old Testament theophany. Those are like the big words that the, like Greg and the people at the seminary know. I just look it up and then it makes me sound smart if I say a word like that. Um, but it's, a, it's an Old Testament appearance of, of Jesus, whether he appeared to Joshua or appeared. So this, uh, this figure in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Melchizedek, this mysterious uh, person who believed it was a, a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament said he brought out the uh, the wine and the bread and Abraham had just finished a a battle and he was successful and he had these possessions 
And that was when he first, the first tithe, I'll just read it in Genesis 14, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out the bread and the wine. He was priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. How did he know that? People walked with God before there was any scripture written. People, God never stopped communicating with people, even after the fall of man. Uh, there were people who walked with God, and God was revealing himself. How God revealed and how, what, how this revelation came, we don't know. But somehow, in Abraham's relationship with God, somehow he knew that this would be a good thing to do. And it's the instance of the first tithe. Uh, later, uh, his sons uh, followed up uh, and also tithe. And then many years later, in the Mosaic Law, it was put down as part of the Jewish law to give 10%. There was other uh, tithes and offerings that were mandated at that point. But that was the first one. It came by revelation even before uh, it, was, it was in the Mosaic Law. Then there's a classic verse, which if you've been around church at any length of time, you will have heard Malachi 3. And if you're like most pastors of people that share, we don't start in, back in verse 8 because it's like, oh, man, that's just not very politically correct. And so what we do is we skip the very first part of it because sometimes it's just scary to say what God's word says. Do, do you realize that as a pastor? Like, and that's why I think, oh, thank God. I, it's not me. It's you're saying that, Lord. Because when you touch on a subject like money, it's like, oh, you can't talk about money. Like, it doesn't matter if it's in the Bible. You got So there's just this thing. So I have to, even now, I have to just like overcome. Okay, Lord, I, di I didn't write this. I didn't write this. <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. I didn't write the Bible. <laughs> um, yeah, of course I didn't. Um, so here, here's the classic tithing scripture from Malachi. But I'm going to go all the way uh, to verse 8, which is stronger. And this is what it says. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse. For you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you'll be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And so God calls, this is now more official because he's referring back to the law of Moses when, when he commands God's people to give the first tenth of all they have back to God and to put it into the storehouse, which traditionally, and I believe, has been in the New Testament, the local church. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. Um, and tithing's not just giving 10% back to God. There's many verses in the scripture that talk about honoring God with the first of all your possessions or the first fruits. In an agricultural setting, the first fruits are what comes in off the harvest uh, at the top. And it's, it's really a step of faith to give the first fruits because there could be crop failure. Uh, there could be something else that goes on. Maybe, you know, whatever your flocks are, if you start offering up the first fruits, it's a step of faith. It's risk uh, involved. You have to really trust in order to do that. It'd be sort of like a modern vernacular 
uh, modern situation might be, you know, you get your paycheck and you pay all your bills, you pay your rent and everything else. And then if you have 10% left, you go, okay, I'll give that to the Lord. Yes, you're giving 10%. I'm giving 10% in that case, but it's not the same as a first fruit because we've already figured it out ourselves. There isn't that same level of trusting uh, in the Lord. And so that's, um, so ideally at, at the tithe, the, the first level of giving is the first tenth of what God has uh, given to us. Um, but there's a question I get sometimes, and that is, isn't tithing uh, just for the Old Testament? Um, there was a time where uh, Jesus was challenging the Pharisees. Those were the religious leaders of the day. They were very, they had memorized large portions of the scripture. Um, they were very exacting in the way that they lived their lives, but they weren't very high on mercy. And uh, with people, they were a little bit more judgmental. And there was one time, and I'm going to read this verses, where Jesus challenged them and he said, you know, you, you are so exacting on your tithe that he said that you even take your spices and you tithe on that. I was thinking about that. I mean, could you imagine getting like a thing of sage or whatever it is and pumping it out and like literally counting them and trying to get, you know, okay, there's 38,200 and so, you know, Lord, you get 3,000. I mean, it's, it's crazy when you think about it. But he was saying, this, he was giving it out as an example. You, you get so into one thing, but you forget the bigger picture. So tithing isn't everything, but it's not nothing. It's something. And so Jesus, this is what Jesus said, and this would have been his perfect opportunity to say, guys, Old Testament, that's done away with. Look at what he said when he spoke to the Pharisees. He said, woe to you, this is Jesus, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. It would have been the perfect opportunity for him to say, you should have practiced the later, latter, and tithing has now been done with, because I have come and I've fulfilled the tithe. He could have right there and then tr made the transition. Um, very well known, especially if you're in reform circles, is this guy named um, R.C. Sproul who died a couple years ago. If you ever end up in a seminary situation or maybe some of his popular books, some of you might have read. But um, I'm going to quote him in just a minute. But there's this book called the Didache. Uh, book. It was the, the early church's discipleship manual. It's like the kind of like the ancient, ancient version of whatever you might call like the, you know, the purple book around here in every nation or something like that. But this is what uh, R.C. Sproul points out. He said in the Didache, written at the end of the first century or early in the second, there's a significant amount of material on the question of supporting the work of the kingdom. The tithe principle is clearly communicated in this work showing us that the primitive Christian community continued the practice of the tithe. So one more aside on tithing that is just blew my mind when I started researching just a little bit about this, but there's a, a couple, uh, John and Sylvia Ronsville, who have been commissioned to do research on the state of church giving, mostly in the United States, but I think the stats would uh, cover all, all of North America. And one of the things years ago that they had come out with is they researched how much Christians in North America give, and it's about 2.4%. And they said that if those same Christians all gave a tenth, there'd be another, every year, there'd be another $169 billion available for kingdom work. For context, uh, 
Over five years, that would be $850 billion, which I added it up, which would be if Elon Musk, the French guy who's number two in the world, I forget, there's then there's Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and whatever. If you add up all their billions, that's about 850. So the, it's like that increase just from the churches in North America could match if those five dudes, if they emptied all their money. Now, <clears throat> another report I read said that to end hunger in the world, it would take 25 billion over five years to have every person in the world have clean water and sanitation, it'd be 15 billion. To educate every remaining child in the world for literacy, it'd be 12 billion. And get this, to finish the Great Commission, it would take $1 billion to fund the remaining missionaries needed to bring the gospel to the very ends of the earth and fulfill Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole nations, and then shall the end come. We could literally complete the Great Commission. The finances have already been given by God to his church to do all of those things. And that's just the increase. All the church could, could keep all the money they have right now to run what they're doing now. I believe that one of the reasons why our church is really, it's more about paying the building and some salaries. We don't have the clout right now to do, I believe, that all that God has called us to do. There's more to do. And I believe that God is going to bless us, but he also is going to ask us to step up and to trust him and to believe him. The second level is offerings. Offerings are the special gifts beyond the tithe to the local church. Offerings allow the believer to contribute directly to the needs that they feel connected to. We've always supported campus missionaries, other missionaries, given to the poor. This is above our tithe. We can just put that money into however the Lord uh, leads us. Um, one of the things I tell our church when we're taking up special offerings, it doesn't help at all. If you re redirect your tithe to this need, you're not helping us. Because now we got a need over here. You're just redirecting, but we're no further ahead on that special offering. So, just I'm saying that for the pastors around here. Um, third level, sacrificial giving. This is when the Lord challenges you to give when it'll take much faith and trust in the Lord. I want to share a couple examples. For years, I've never shared these. Sheila and I feel like most of our giving needs to just be between you and the Lord. But I don't want this to remain in a conceptual zone. I want it to be to say, here's what it might look like. Your challenge of sacrificial giving isn't going to be my challenge for sacrificial giving, okay? It's, it's different for each person, but it does happen. Uh, when we were living here in Vancouver after we were married, I took a second job uh, doing handyman work at our apartment because we wanted to save for a house. And so I, back in those days, they gave you passbooks. We went down to CIBC, 10th and Sassamat, and we picked up our passbook, and I wrote on it, house savings. And then I tithed on all these little odd jobs, and then the rest went in that. We kept building that fund. You know, if we got a tax return or whatever, we'd put money in it. And then we moved to Calgary to start the church, you church there. I quit my job as an optician. We moved over to Calgary. We kept putting into that fund. And we were just at the point where we were getting really close to have a down payment because a down payment in Calgary is a lot less than a down payment in Vancouver, I'll have you know. And so um, you already knew that. Um, so we were close. And the church plant was just really, it was, it, it was fledgling. It was mostly students. Uh, we were just struggling. We were taking in borders. We were doing all kinds of things to, to make the church go. And we just knew it was at this pinnacle point. And the Lord said, sow your house savings fund 
into the church plant. And so, wow, all of it? Yeah, all of it. And so we gulped, we asked, you know, prayed, make sure it was the Lord 10 times over. <laughs> and uh, we ended up sowing it. We'd also, a couple of years after that, we started, thought, how are we having kids? We had three kids by then, and we're thinking, how are we ever going to educate these kids later on? And so we got this idea, we'll do the child tax credit. We'll take that, and we went down and got another special savings account, children's education account. We started putting the baby bonuses, as we used to call them, into, into that account. And when it was time for us to move again, and God called us down to help build our Every Nation office. Our Every Nation office only had like three staff members. For any of you who went down there, when we arrived there, there was Rice Brooks, uh, Julie Platt, who's now Julie Gowans, and I think one other person. And then Bert and Sheila arrived. So, the, 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 you know, and it was a self funded job. You had to raise your own support to go work in the office. So, but we knew it was the Lord. And we're like, how are we going to do this? Where are we going to get the money? And so we tried to raise some support. We didn't have that much in our savings. Then the Lord said, what about the educational account? You could sow that. We're like, well, we've been saving for 10 years or something around there. And again, we prayed 10 times. And uh, the Lord said, yeah, sow it. And so we did. And then coming back to Canada 11 years ago, the little group in Toronto, I mean, they couldn't pay us. Um, so we raised the support we had and we had had some savings and we started to save for retirement and so once again we didn't sow it all but we sold a good chunk of it and even wound it up in the first few years in Toronto in debt just trying to believe God to pioneer um, there and I talk a little bit about what happened later but finally another level would be financial finish line this and I've never done this I don't know if the Lord will call me to I don't know but this is when you fix your personal budget and the amount, the amount you will live on, and then everything that you make beyond that, you give away. And there are Christians who feel convicted to do this. Uh, I heard a, of a testimony of some in, an, uh, brother, two brothers who graduated maybe 30 years ago from the University of Tennessee, and they took over a very small engineering business of their father. It was very small. And they were going to become missionaries, and then God said, no, I want you to take over your dad's little engineering company. It's a crane company and a bridge. Eventually, it became a crane and bridge company. But um, they pledged to one another to live a middle-class income. They fixed their salary. They made it public, and they fixed their salary. Then they had large families. They fixed it at about $100,000 with some cost of in. Uh, and that business, for 30 straight years, grew to the point where they were giving $1 million U.S. away per month and, and had fixed their income. And it's just, I'm like, whoa. Anyway, it's just, it's so inspiring to me anyway. Okay, let me go on here. Point number three, results from giving. Uh, I believe that the first result or blessing of giving, this is called the blessing of giving this message, is the spiritual protection that it gives. Um, Jesus said in Mark 4.18, it says, speaking of the word being sown, it's the parable of the sower and the seed. He said, others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Like I said, I've got deep roots in Canada. My 10th great-grandfather on my mother's side came over on the first boat in 1637 from France that families came. And, you know, with the indigenous, and I love Canada. I think it's one of the reasons why 
you know, even though that it was tough to come back, why we came back. But there's a sadness in my heart, too, about our land. You know, after the Great Depression in the 1930s, a lot of you who are newcomers to Canada, you think of it as a rich nation. You think of it as a wealthy nation. But it wasn't that long ago where people were struggling in many parts of Canada. Um, you know, the Ukrainian immigrants on the prairies, that's part of uh, Pastor Greg's background, whether it's, you know, some of the indigenous people, whether it's a lot of the immigrants from Europe that came over, it was Scottish Highlanders who'd lost the war, it was because of the famine in Europe. I mean, they're, they're, those people who came over in the 1800s and early 1900s, they were poor. And after World War II, Canada really began to boom. Uh, we, became, we went to become one of the richest nations in the world, actually, and still are. But it wasn't always that way. And after World War II, about 1946, the economic prosperity of Canada just began to take off. You know what's really sad? Is I believe that Jesus' admonition or warning of Mark 4 happened in our nation I want to show you, well, our economy was going up and to the right from 1946 until present. I want to show you what happened to church attendance in that same period. The red dots are people who, they were asked, attended religious services in the last seven days. In 1946, it was almost 70% of Canadians. If you ask them, have you attended a religious service in the last seven days, 70% of Canadians would have answered yes. 70%. The blue dots are weekly attendance at religious service. These are people that if you ask them, they said, do you go to church every week? I believe there's a direct correlation. I believe that the warnings in scripture, unfortunately, were not heeded in our land. In fact, God told Israel, when riches increase, do not set your heart on them. We do not hear enough about the dangers of materialism and consumerism. There's idolatry involved. And there's even subtle things. I find myself, you know, if I'm just a little bit down, oh, if I went to Starbucks and had a coffee, I could get, I, I could like get a little high here or I, I normally go to Tim's. I mean, it, it's just, they're so easy to start thinking about another product on Amazon or something to lift us out of the doldrums. Now look, you need to shop, I need to shop, but it's so subtle. It's so subtle. There can be like a little an orphan hit when, you know, we anticipate buying something. And it can be subtle. No one believes that they have a, have a problem with materialism and greed. Nobody. Jesus talked it about this, like really said, it's the, if your eye is bad, your body will, if your eye is good, your body will be filled of light. But if your eye is bad, your body will be filled of darkness. And he was talking about materialism. He was talking about it's the sin that nobody sees. It's, it's, it's you know, if you wake up in the... I heard this is not an original joke, okay? So, but if you wake up and you, in the morning, you know, and you're a married man, you look and you go, oh, you're not my wife. Um, you know, you wouldn't... You would know what you did. But materialism is so subtle. It's so subtle. I want to say a word... Uh, to those of you who are newcomers to Canada who have um, small children, um, and this, I'm gonna say it, but it's sobering. 
statistically, the chances of your kids serving God into, into young adulthood and adulthood in Canada are low. And one of the reasons is because this thing that I'm talking about will overtake you and it will overtake your kids. It'll go from weekly attendance to, ah, oh, I don't know, I can't really, or whatever it is. I'm not saying coming to church is the end all and be all, but it's something. And pretty soon there's just this drift that begins to happen. And other things, see, Jesus said it, it's subtle. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things creep in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. If there was one thing that I honor my dad for, he became a Christian when he was 26, and he was very good at his job. Even though they didn't have a high education, he was, he, I mean, he was really good, and he was really smart, and was constantly given opportunities for promotions and raises and things. And if they said, okay, but it would mean working some weekends, working some Sundays, he said, not a chance. I'll just stay where I am. I don't want to neglect my duties in the house of the Lord and I don't want to neglect my family. You know, there was something there that even when I was straying from God as a teenager, there was just something of that integrity of just seeking first the kingdom of God I couldn't get away from. When I just saw my dad, it was like, oh, man. There was just something, something there. And so parents, if you want to pass your faith to the next generation, you, you must, you you must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They must see it in you. The kids have a BS meter. They can see compromise. They can see what's really important to you. And they will follow suit. Let me move on. I know that was the heavy point of the sermon. But another bl blessing, a supernatural blessing... God actually tells us that we can test him. I shared three levels where God has led me to my journey of giving. And, and Sheila and I didn't give those things because secretly it was like, oh, the lotto's going to come in and, you know, daddy, papa God's going to, like, come through. Like, it wasn't any of that. It was just we just felt convicted in our heart that that was the right thing to do and was something we wanted to do. But we were in our house in uh, Toronto, uh, and God opened up the door for a nice rental home. And we were, and she was sitting in it. She goes, you know, remember when we way back in Calgary and how somehow the Lord has always opened up a great home or apartment or something for us to live in. And it just dawned on us. And then we go, and then we started thinking about other things. And so we ended up getting a house. We came, after we sold that money, it was a couple years later, I think, and then we were visiting family and people in Vancouver. And we came home. After the weekend, I don't even know how this happened, but we came home with a down payment for a house and bought our first home in a weekend. And then, you know, later on, we thought back about that educational account, and we have four kids, and somehow God took care of every single one of those educational, whether it was through scholarships or whatever. Our eldest is a, is a lawyer, he's a corporate lawyer in New York, and went through law school, and then after law school, and... Then our daughter, she's got her master's degree from Vanderbilt University in education. She's doing well, very well in her field. Some, I don't know how this all, all happened, but it did. And then our next is in architecture. Joel, he leads our worship at the church. And our youngest 
is um, just finishing up at the math at the University of Waterloo. And, and we just look back and we think, Lord Jesus, you just looked after our kids. It, and it was so much, we sing a song uh, in uh, Toronto. It's like, and one of the lines is, so much better your way. And we just want to testify it really is. Um, treasure in heaven. Let me, one more blessing here. The Lord said this, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God doesn't ask us to renounce our treasure. He asks us to relocate it. And the older I get, the more I realize there's only so much you can get out of this life. There's only so much. Because we've been built for the new heaven and the new earth and the return of Christ. It's there. It's there that we will have the heavenly mansions. It's there that we will finally get a body that doesn't keep breaking down. It's there where relationships won't be broken. It's there where we talk about the 12 steps and addiction will be broken and will be no more. And every tear will be wiped away. And so even if, I love that Jonathan Lettuce and hymns, if you notice the old hymns, they, they are more balanced, I believe, in the creation, fall, recreation, redemption rubric of the meta-narrative of the story of God, the arc of the Bible. They don't just center on the redemptive part now and how sunny and great everything is now today because it's not. It, we're in the kingdom of already, but not yet. But one day. And so if we don't live that way, if we really think that the kitchen remodel is going to really save us, um, you know, and you know, and then our society, it's just, it's all about that. It's just, it, it's everywhere. And I, I don't want to mock it because I, I do want to mock it. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to, but I, what I'm saying is I see a danger in it. I guess that's all I'm saying. And it's, it's one of those things where everybody has to check their own heart with God's money as we spend it. Not just the tithe, but the entire 90%. It's his. And we have been called to be his stewards. Uh, Randy, uh, Randy Alcorn, wonderful pastor and writer, said this, the greatest deterrent to giving is the illusion that earth is our home. When I was about to, about to speak a message very similar to this in Calgary back in July, I was thinking about the sermon, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I just had this impression from the Lord concerning the parable of the talents where he was talking about the vineyard where he gave one five talents, one three, and one one. And the one who had the five, if you know your Bible, increased it and got five more and was praised by the master. The one who three invested wisely was a good steward and got three more and he was praised. And then the one who had the one buried it and he was afraid and wasn't a good steward and, uh, you know, he got rebuked. And I just felt like the Lord say, I have no pleasure in doing that to the unfaithful steward, my heart is actually to bless. My heart is actually to increase 
stewardship. That's God's heart. His heart is to say, well done. You have been faithful with this. I was thinking about the feeding of the 5,000 and then the follow-up where there was a feeding again. And I, I actually thought that they had forgotten the disciples. If you know the story, I thought they had forgotten about God's power. And I think that doesn't make any sense because Jesus was doing miracles every single day. So it couldn't have been that. And when he was saying, don't you remember what I did with the small offering of the loaves and fishes, and, it, and I got it. It's not how much you have. It's how much of what you have is in his hands. And I'll just leave you with that because I believe God wants to raise up. And I believe God's going to bless people in every nation, Canada, in our churches. I believe that there's some people that are really going to go deep in this area and God's going to pour out on them. And they're going to make massive impacts in the kingdom of God as we all work together. But I think all of us should be praying and asking God, have I been a good steward? Have I been a good steward of all the things that you have entrusted into my hand. Aren't you happy that Jesus has forgiven your sins? Aren't you happy that he's gracious and merciful and kind? But he also gets to challenge us as our Lord. And I pray that God in our land will raise up amazing people who get this, not as a legalistic thing, not as a good works thing, but a revelation from his heart. Let's pray. Father, I ask that, God, you would raise up a mighty people who don't just steward their, their finances according to your will, but steward everything. God, we're asking for a move of God in our land, and it doesn't take a huge crowd Lord, it just takes people whose heart are fully yours. And we ask, God, that you would give us grace to give more of our heart to you. That we'd be able to place more of who we are into your hands. That you might break it, bless it, multiply it, and feed a thirsty, hungry, dying world. Lord, we just have open our hearts and avail ourselves to you anew. Lord, we come to the altar once again to be reminded of your great sacrifice for us. The blood of the lamb shed for the remission of sins. Lord, help us to just have another experience, another encounter with your love, with your sacrifice, with your care for us. And I pray that you'd bring us all to greater levels of trust, greater levels of knowing that you are trustworthy. You're gonna look after our kids. You're gonna look after our parents. You're gonna look after us because you're good. In Jesus' name, amen.